I'm excited as hell to be a Dallas Cowboy. Who was the toughest guy to tackle? Ezekiel Elliott. Feed Elliott. What's up, Cowboy Nation? Let's get it! Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Back Row Cowboy Show, a proud part of the Back Row Sports Network. Woo! Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Back Row Cowboy Show. It's your host, Adam, and across from me, as always, my co-host, Seth. It's playoff time, baby! Victory! And Mm. before we even start, and Seth, we'll let you sign us out with a victory because clearly that's your thing, not mine. We need to start off with a big apology. It's been three weeks. Th- three weeks since we've recorded. Um, unfortunately, Seth's uh, family got sick. Then my family got sick the following week. Um, and then the following week, uh, last week, I with the snow, I was working all week. Long yeah, hours, Seth so. does tree work for a living um, for, like, electrical companies when trees fall on power lines. They bring in um, Seth and his co-workers to take trees off power lines. And um, where we live at, we got hit with a pretty decent little snowstorm up the East Coast last weekend. So I think you worked, what, about 80 hours last week? I got 90 hours in. So, so Seth's buying dinner right after this show. So, I mean, I can't wait to get through this podcast and, and talk about the playoffs and, and everything, you know, everything that comes along with that. And there's some bad news as well that we're going to start with the news and notes. But after that, I think me and Seth are going to go out for a couple prime rib steaks. That sounds uh, pretty good to me. But mm. we did want to apologize to you guys for real for not being on the last three weeks. There's been a lot of important games games for seeding, games for, you know, we've been locked into the playoffs since since we last recorded. But obviously when we last recorded, we were the two seed. Now we fell down to the four, we've made our way back up to the three, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But we did want to apologize for missing the last three weeks. And on top of that, there is another big storm coming, and there is a possibility. Now not, we're not ruling it out, but it is a possibility that next week might be put on hold as well because I might be working. If not, Abo might do a solo show. Yeah, if if for some reason um, you have to work and, and you have to deal with the elements like you did last week, I will come on and do something solo because depending on the results of next week, it's win or go home. Yeah. So either way, it's a big game. It's either yes, the end sir. of our season and we're wrapping it up or we're moving forward to the next game. Um, 
and then, you know, two more victories after that, we could be looking at going to the Super Bowl. So either way, I 100% promise you'll either have to listen to me for 30 minutes to an hour or you'll get the pleasure of me and Seth next week. So we just wanted to apologize and, and you know, just say we're sorry. But unfortunately, it's just that's kind of the world we're in now. It, um, you know, things are a little more when someone gets sick nowadays, it's a little more serious than it was three, four years ago. There's a lot more things involved with quarantine and not being able to be around people and and we just you know we've said all along we're both husbands and have wives and kids and and those are the most important things in our lives and we're not going to subject them or or you know me to Seth's family or Seth to my family if if that person is sick it's just it's not worth it so um, we apologize, and, and I promise you one of us or both of us will be on here next week bringing you that uh, valuable Cowboys news. And speaking of news, Seth, a uh, little bit of news and notes, some injuries, a lot of coach speak that you and I need to go over. So why don't you go and start us off? Yeah. Um, it, as far as the injury goes this week, it's you know it's pretty limited as far as uh, uh, Curse. I know Curse, he was dealing with the hamstring injury. Uh he hasn't been cleared to practice as of today. Uh, we'll see what happens tomorrow. But um, uh, I know Diggs, you know, he was out with the illness last week, but they said it was not COVID-related. He's expected back. Basically, everybody that missed last week's game is expected back. Uh, Parsons, y'all know uh, him and Tyrone Smith was both put on the COVID list last week, and they're both expected to come back. So, that's good news, you know, when you get your arguably your best offensive lineman and your best defensive player back. That's great. Um, Gallup, yeah, you know, it's been a few weeks since that happened, but y'all know uh, in the Arizona game he tore his ACL and is out for the year. So, um Obviously, he's out for the year, and we hope that he has a speedy recovery, but that could very well be the last game that he plays for the Cowboys. The good news is Cedric Wilson has played really well in his absence, so uh, that's always good to see. And, you know, we've known that Cedric Wilson Cedric Wilson has always been uh, a pretty good at stepping up, you know, when needed type of guy. So, But as far as news and notes, uh, injuries – uh, that's pretty much it for that. I did want to talk about and bring up the fact that both our defensive coordinator and offensive coordinators are being lobbied for and interviewed for head coaching jobs. I know so far, and it could change throughout the week, I know so far that uh, Kellen Moore, uh, he is interviewed, interviewing for the Jags job the Miami Dolphins job, and the Denver Broncos job. Um, I don't think he's done the Miami or the Denver jobs yet. I think he has interviewed for the Jags job already. Uh, So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, Dan Quinn, who, you know, we knew once the defense started clicking that uh, he was going to get some uh, interviews really quick for head coaching jobs. Uh, Dan Quinn so far, uh, of course, y'all know about the Jags job. He he de- declined that. And then 
Denver, Miami, and Chicago have been the other three teams that I have seen so far. That could change. You know, the Giants just opened up their head coaching position by firing their head coach. And um, so that could be a possibility as well. You would hope not, you know, being a division rivalry, but you never know what happens. I mean, money talks, right? So, um, but other than that, they like I said, that might change throughout the week. Um, but as of right now, those are the only teams uh, trying trying to get interviews with Dan Quinn and Rand, and Kellen Moore right now. So, uh, like I said, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, I did want to bring up one more piece of news notes. Our our whole coaching staff is healthy, except uh, London Wells, who's our tight end coach. He is on the COVID list right now, so he's the only coach that's missing at the moment. So, other than that, uh, that pretty much wraps up the news and notes. Abo, is there anything you want to add to the news and notes or talk about? Yeah, one of the things I want to talk about is uh, the Michael Gallup situation. I kind of just want to put on my two cents on that. I'm telling you what, what a way to go out catching the touchdown and um, yes, sir. I know. You and I have talked really since we started this podcast about we knew there was the inevitability in 2022 of it was going to be Cooper or Gallup, Cooper or Gallup. Um, I wonder, now the ACL tear is not nearly what it was, I don't know, 10 years ago to a person's career and to a person's future. I mean, you look at, uh, you look at Don Foreman and you look at Cam Akers, Achilles really apparently aren't what they used to be anymore either. Um, but you have to wonder what does this do to his free agent market? He's had a lot of ties, um, NFL experts, you know, quote unquote, have said teams like the Jaguars would be in on him or – Maybe the replacement for Mike Williams if they don't think um, Palmer's ready to be that guy in for the Chargers. And, and I think someone with his skill set, big, physical, sneaky, athletic, and, and then you see it every time he's in the end zone or in the red zone. He just contorts his body better than anybody, and there's really no – his catch radius is almost infinite. Yeah, And in today's game, and especially in the, the red zone, you hear the analysts and you watch the game. What's the one thing they say? The red zone gets tight. So if you can expand that window by just a margin, 10%, 20% margin, because a receiver like Michael Gallup, that's worth its weight and gold by itself. You look at those teams that struggle in the red zone. Imagine if they had a Michael Gallup to where you can just toss one up and just a little bit extended of that end zone and ask him, hey, can you drag those toes? You bet he can. So I just I wonder if maybe, and it's something that you and I were talking about, and it's like you know I hate injuries. You know I'm, I hate this. One, because Michael Gallup really changed the way our offense was running. We're able to have CeeDee Lamb almost predominantly in the slot. You and I have talked about it. It, it seems to – Work a lot better for him when he's predominantly in the slot. Michael Gallup allowed that to happen. It also allowed us to move Amari Cooper in the slot a little more and move, you know, it, we just, our chess pieces were Lamb and, and Cooper, or, and you just moved them in and out of the slot. And that's when our offense really kind of started to take over. 
and, and really started to cook a little bit. But you lose a Michael Gallup. Now, all of a sudden, CeeDee Lamb's predominantly an outside receiver. Since he's been gone, who's the receiver that stepped up the most for Dallas since Gallup went down? You would think it would be Cooper. You would think it would be Lamb. But in reality, it's been Cedric Wilson. Yeah. and I he's, mean, he's been a monster. <clears throat> and he's coming out of the slot. Mm-hmm. And so it just shows that slot position and our offense and that Kellen Moore offense – even when it was Lamb, when it's Cooper, I understand you can say, oh, well, the defenses are focused on Cooper and Lamb, and they're just – Wilson's going to be one-on-one. Even when Lamb's in the slot, even when Cooper's in the slot, good things seem to happen. So that's that's my one thought with Michael Gallup, excuse me, is him being gone, Lamb and Cooper are now predominantly outside guys, leaving Wilson in the slot. So he's going to have to continue his the play that he's shown. It's just he's going to have to keep expanding on that and, and keep playing to that level as, as we start facing stiffer competition. I mean, everyone we play from now on is a playoff team. Yep. Also, if Wilson, let's say he keeps doing it, he's had four touchdowns in the last two weeks. Let's say he stays on this pace. Let's say he continues playing the way he's been playing. Pretty sure he's a free agent at the end of this year. Yeah. So now all of a sudden you may lose him and you may lose Gallup because we're already up against the cap. It's got to be a priority to sign one of them. And I think Wilson's going to be easier to sign. I think maybe <laughs> playoff runs tend to make guys money. Yeah, I mean, that's true too. But uh, obviously I think our best chance to keep one or the other is Wilson. But, you know, the thing is about the Gallup thing, even though I, I honestly think he's going. The thing about the Gallup, that you got to look. He missed, what, five games earlier this year. Then he's missing the rest of the season because of ACL tear. Teams look at injuries. Okay, so injuries can prevent you from getting contracts mm-hmm. or getting the contracts that you want. So maybe that opens the door, and teams teams take advantage of this all the time, but maybe that opens a door for a one-year prove-it deal <clears throat> to prove I, that you can stay healthy. I think if he takes a one-year prove-it, it's with us. Yeah, I think I, I, mean, I think that's the case too. I, I think if the market's not where he wants it to be, and him and his age or his agent comes to him and, and his team counsel, whoever it is, comes to him and says, Hey, you're young. I think you can invest one more year in kind of reestablishing your stock. Let's go try it again in twenty twenty three. If his team says that, I really think that one year deal is gonna be with Dallas because you've already got an established connection with Dak Prescott, even in that three-receiver offense with Dalton Schultz, Gallup had some good moments, and he had some really good games, even beside Lamb and Cooper and Schultz. So I really do think that if he comes back on a one-year reestablish your stock deal, it's going to be in Dallas. Um, Before we get into the coaches, the practice report for today was just released. Smith was limited. Parsons was cleared, and he was limited. So was Neal. Tony Pollard was a full go, and I think that's big. San Francisco is hard to run against up the middle. You've got that formidable defensive front, and you've also got Fred Werner at middle linebacker, one of the better middle linebackers in the game. I think if we're going to run the ball successfully on them and get those gash plays, I think it's going to be the outside. And that's kind of 
that's where Michael Gallup, excuse me, that's where Tony Pollard exceeds. He's got that gear that Zeke just doesn't seem to have right now. So I think having Tony Pollard is going to be a big one for this week's game. Zeke did look a lot better last week going against the Eagles, but I'm with you 100%. I think Pollard is somebody we definitely need in our playoff run, and um, it's happy to see that he's back and full go and ready to go against the 49ers. Well, until he got hurt, I think him and uh, Zeke were both top ten in rushing. Yeah. Something you and I were talking about. He adds – he just adds a different element to the offense. Yeah. He has, and, and now Zeke's a fantastic pass catcher, but so is Pollard. You can get him the ball out in space, challenge a defense. Just the threat of him running out instead of flat, you have to respect that. So if you send a linebacker, whatever, over there to uh, guard him – if the offensive line can handle the pass rush, guess what? One less defender in the middle. More than likely, Schultz, Lamb, Cooper, one or most likely probably two of them are going to be operating in the middle of the field. That one less linebacker being there, imagine the, the passing difference. window it opens up. Yeah, all the difference. And then also if that linebacker stays at home, you get the ball in Tony Pollard's hands out wide, you make one corner miss on the outside, and what what's up? It's house call. It's touchdown. Yes, sir. So, I think bringing him back is is big. Corey Clement's been serviceable, but that's kind of what he is. He's a serviceable running back. Great special teams guy. Good kick returner. Serviceable backup. Pollard is kind of an elite backup. I think that's what he is. I'm not getting into the Pollard versus Zeke thing because we've, we've, we've that had that a yeah. lot. So, we're just not going to go down that road again. But... I think he's an elite backup, and I think he brings that change of pace and that gear that Jazeek doesn't have. Those are my thoughts on the, on the injuries and, and kind of where we stand. I think the Philly game, you could tell Parsons not being there hurt. I understand that score got out of control, but that game could have been different had Jalen Hurts been in. Overgarden mentioned, and I know – Yeah, there was a, there was a lot of – pieces that you know the Eagles sat a lot of players you know a lot of players was injured but we had guys that was hurt they had a lot of guys out with COVID too they didn't have Dallas Goddard Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz had big games against us in the first game well you also got to think truth be told before this game even happened there was not there was minimal gains for us if we won or lost now it turned out in our favor and we bumped up from the four to the three seed with uh you know, with the Rams losing and the Cardinals losing, we ended up jumping one spot. But um, for us to really think that there was really much meaning to this game was it, it was one of those slim things that, and it just worked out in our favor. So, but I did want to mention I didn't want to go too much into the Eagle game because you know there was a lot of things. It was a blowout. There was a lot of. Uh, Players missing and everything else, but I did want to mention that Zach, uh, Zach, Dak had a, you know, he broke the Cowboys' record for touchdowns in the game with five touchdowns, who was held by Romo with four. So uh, he had a pretty good game. But he also has the season record now, thirty-seven yeah, touchdowns. Yep, as well. So, uh, uh, really good season for him. It looks like, you know, the last couple, the last few games, he's kind of got his mojo back. 
I know it took a little while to get started against Arizona, but uh, towards the end of the game, you know, the second half, they picked it up pretty well. So the offense as a whole seems like they're ready to make that step into the playoffs. Well, they they ended on good terms against Philly. Yes. And the defense, you know, they gave up 150 yards against the Eagles, rushing, running the ball. Going against the 49ers, that's that's their main go-to. So that's something that but that's something they have to fix, but they also you know, Parsons is not there. Curse is not there. So, you know, somebody that plays in the box quite a bit. So, um, I'm not going to use those excuses, but if arguably your best defensive player and one of the better safeties this year not playing, I think that could have limited some of the running room that they had. So, um, but, yeah, that's all, that's really all I wanted to say about the Eagles. I mean, it matters. I would say two weeks ago, there was an argument for Mika Parsons for defensive player of the year. I mean, defensive player of the year, I mean, that's locked. But I think there was an argument to be made two, three weeks ago that Mika Parsons was every bit in the running for defensive player of the year. Now, J.J. Watt, I mean, he, I mean T.J. Watt, excuse me, he's gone on just a tear the last couple of weeks. I mean, he, he tied the NFL sack record. I don't see how he's not defensive player of the year. Yeah. I think Parsons will get some votes and he'll probably finish top five rookie year. I mean, it, it, could we have asked for more? I don't no. think so. Nah, man, we was trying to figure out the best way that they was going to use him at the beginning of the year, and they utilized him very well uh, on you know rushing the quarterback and you know falling back in coverage, and he excelled great in both areas so to expect what he's done this year I mean we'll take that as a win all day and leave it at that I mean you take away someone like that take away TJ Watt from Pittsburgh what do they have I mean what what happens that defense it goes down it a drops, notch yes you take away Aaron Donald from the Rams drops drop. down a notch you take away Jalen Ramsey from Rams drops down a notch that's what elite players do. They elevate everything around them. So for people to say they were missing one guy, yeah, you're missing one big guy. I mean, and, and, and I did want to say for the people that say Dak played seventeen, did seventeen game season. No, Dak played sixteen games. You had yep. the Cooper Rush start against the Minnesota yep. Vikings. So for everyone that wants to put an asterisk beside that Romo versus Dak franchise season record um, passing touchdowns. Dak played 16 games, period. Yep. So he had a 16-game season, and in that 16-game season, he threw more touchdowns than Romo. Not taking anything away from Tony Romo. Love Tony Romo. Really wish we could have put the defenses that Quincy Carter had and Ryan Leaf had. I wish we could have put those defenses with Romo because we probably have more than five Super Bowls. Yes. But I agree. Anyway, <clears throat> I think it's enough about the players. I did want to talk about the coaches because it's relevant. We lose one of these guys, and I think with all the interviews lined up, Kellen Moore has four. Is that what you said, or was it three? It was three. And then Quinn has three. That's what I've seen. The Moore had three, the Jags, Miami, and Denver. Okay. Now, I might have missed one, but I don't think I have, and that could change. And then, of course, Quinn has Chicago. had the ja- had the Jags, but he declined that already. And then Denver, Miami, and Chicago. Okay. 
<clears throat> I would be surprised if Chicago didn't come after Kellen Moore as well. I wouldn't be surprised either. I think you're trying to sell the Chicago job to someone. What's your number one selling point? Fields. Exactly. What has Kellen Moore done the last – since he's really been an offensive coordinator, he's had Romo and he's had Dak. Dak came out of nowhere, really, in that draft. Is there any quarterback you're taking that draft over him now? Are you taking Wentz over him? Are you taking golf over him? No, nah, as far as I know, you know, Dak is the first overall pick in the draft compared to those two. Well, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I so mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, unless you want to throw Paxton Lynch in there. Oh God! <laughs> hey man, we tried to go get him. I know, and I, I want, and I, I liked Paxton Lynch. I, I'm not going to lie to you. That's why I do this podcast and do what I do for a living. And I'm not an NFL scout, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but guys that do this for a living, they miss on quarterback every year. So I'm not going to lie to you. It's it's probably the biggest misposition in the NFL. Yeah, I mean it's literally it's had, that's what get guy, gets guys fired. But anyway, back on topic, if you're selling Chicago to anyone, it's because of Justin Fields. And, and it, I mean, they don't have a first round pick this year. It's going to end up being an early pick, but they traded to the Giants. The new Giants head coach is going to have two very early first round picks to kind of do whatever he sees fit with that team. Um, I, I think. Think Quinn, this is my opinion. I haven't heard anything to back us up. Probably turned down the Jacksonville job because if he anywhere he's going as a head coach, I think he's gonna want a little bit more established team. Like I could see Dan Quinn taking the Miami job. Oh yeah. Because <clears throat> the reports that have come out, I mean, you and me and, and Richard we text and talk about it for probably like a good 30 minutes just back and forth about like how can you fire Brian Flores? Like he's been such a great coach. And yes, they missed the playoffs, but they lost seven games in a row and then they won eight. So they, they I mean, I understand one one pendulum went one way very left, well, um, but on, it came roaring back to the right. On top of that, and that – Seven game loss, two of them missed like four games. Yeah, so they didn't even have the starting quarterback then. You, you, and then they missed the playoffs last year at ten and six. Yeah, how often does that happen? Yeah, I understand. So that that's one of the reasons why they added the seven team. Yeah, it's because it's because it's it's happened more and more the last couple of years. Teams have been winning ten games and missing the playoffs. So the NFL's tried to to fix that, and it looks like they have. I mean, there was competitive football in in week seventeen. Yeah. At one point, you thought the two teams were going to get in because of a tie. That Sunday night game. God, man. I mean, that, that, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I fell asleep. I, my alarm I would have never thought. My alarm goes off 4 a.m. So, um, But there are people that have said that was the best game of the year. That was the last game of the NFL season in 2021. So you would think the most meaningless game in the NFL – it was actually one that people are talking about over and over and over again. It was the best game of the year. So, I think 18 weeks, you know, it, it hurts teams, but it's it's hurt players and this and that because you're more susceptible to injury and this and that. But it's made for a heck of a brand of football. Yes, sir. But 
I think that Quinn, that's the kind of job he's looking for because the, what we're hearing about Flores now is Flores really wanted to go get one of the studs. He thought that they could give up whatever they needed to give up to get Deshaun Watson, to get Aaron Rodgers, to get Russell Wilson, and and he wanted to go for one of the the big one of the big guys. But the GM said no. Two is our quarterback. He's our he's he's the franchise moving forward. And <coughs> it was pretty much, excuse me. It's pretty much one of those things where it was you make it work with Tua or and and Flores was really adamant about at least your reports are saying he was really yeah. adamant about going for one of the big guys. So you know Tua is established. The defense is a lot of pieces in Miami. They also have a first-round pick. It's something yep. that they don't have in Chicago. Mm-hmm. So, if you know the offense is established, you've got Jalen Waddle. I'm not much on Parker, but whatever. Preston Williams looks to be a little cooked. But but you can add a wide receiver. Maybe for, maybe they go for a Gallup. You've got your speedster and Jalen Waddle. Gallup, big-body receiver. He's already got the connection with Dan Quinn. Miami's a nice little landing spot for him. Now, Mike Jasicki, I think, is a free agent as well. you got to think they're probably going to bring him back, the connection that him and Tua had. If Miami can figure out the running back situation, they've got a lot of young offensive linemen, so you got to think they're going to continue to get coached up. If they can add a running back, and let's just say Michael Gallup, for namesake, that's a nice little offense you got there. Um, another well, year, Tua coming back from the injury – you got to hope that Dan Quinn would bring in a more creative offensive coordinator. I haven't loved – my one thing about Brian Flores is I haven't loved what he's had the OCs do with the offense. Um, I'm not sure Jalen Waddle operating like Javar, uh, um, Javar, Javaris Landry. I'm not sure that's probably the best use of his talent, but once again, I don't do that for a living. Um, I well, I don't want to. I don't mean to interrupt you or anything, but I still think Chicago would be a great spot for him too, as well, because the offense, other than maybe a little bit of offensive line work, is set. Because he's got David Montgomery running back, he's got Fields, he's got uh, Allen Robinson. No, he doesn't. Allen Robinson's a free agent. Allen Robinson's a free agent, but I think a new head coach could possibly bring him back. And then you got Mooney, which. Mooney's not a household name, but he proved over the year that he's a a very good weapon to have on offense. You got Khalil Herbert to work in with. Exactly. He's he's looked good in spots. And then on top of that, you got a a pretty good defense. Now, I understand you got to play Green Green Bay twice a year. I mean, how often do you stop Aaron Rodgers? I mean, that's just is what it is. But, you know, you still got – uh, Mac over there, and you still got Quinn of science. Quinn had a phenomenal year, so uh, Chicago is a possible. I don't want to get into it. Quinn too much, has but, Quinn has the Chicago franchise record for single season sacks. Yes, this well, year. That's, yeah, that's what I'm I saying. Mean, you, so, you look at the defensive history. Think and, of the defensive history of that team, and that's that's huge compared to when he left us and went to Chicago, where he only had like four sacks in the first year. And then he jumped way on up here this year. So they got pieces there, too, that are appealing. Um, I don't want to get into it too much because, you know, I hope that he stays 
it's not going to happen, and I don't think it's going to happen. But I still want to keep that optimism out there. Maybe, you know, you know, he's freshly being fired from Atlanta last year. Maybe he wants to kind of reinvent himself and take a couple years off of being a head coach and work on himself and work on his systems and everything else. I, I just don't know, man. I just I just, I just don't I, see honest, where I honestly think See, I think you and I differ here. I think the coordinator were more likely to lose it more. Because a lot of the teams that have job openings, Jacksonville, Miami, Chicago, Denver we'll get into here in a minute. I want to give my piece on Denver. Um I can't remember if I said the Giants, but the Giants. They what, could open the door for what both do they of them too. I understand what do they have in common? At least most of them. <clears throat> the Giants have two early first. So more can come in and either work with Daniel Jones or maybe you take a guy. Maybe you take Kenny Pickett. Maybe you take Matt Corral. Maybe you shoot for the moon and go for Malik Willis. Jacksonville. They've got a quarterback by the name of Trevor Lawrence. Miami has a quarterback by the name of Tua Tagovailoa. Denver, you got to think that if they don't take one, they're getting into the big boy sweepstakes. Sean Watson, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers. Imagine that offense and those playmakers with Aaron Rodgers. Oh, yeah. I know a lot of people think Jerry Judy's a bust. Man, watch the film. That dude gets way, way open and just doesn't get targeted. He doesn't always attack the ball, and he's not as aggressive as a receiver as I'd like to see him be with someone as much physical talent as him. But you got to think with all the separation he creates, what another what a veteran could do for him. So imagine Dan Quinn <clears throat> with that defense, which coming into last week's game was giving up 18.5 points a game. What Dan Quinn could do if he had a veteran, or what could Kellen Moore do with the offenses of those places if they either add the quarterback in place and let's say New York or Denver, or what could Kellen Moore do with a Tua Tagovailoa and a Trevor Lawrence or a Justin Fields? So I just I think with the way the NFL's gone what? and how much emphasis is put on quarterback play. You see what a Kellen Moore did with Romo at the end, and then you see what Kellen Moore did with a young Dak Prescott. That means something. Yeah. My my thing is this, and like you said, we defer here. I think Quinn, if Quinn <laughs> wants to be a head coach, that he is gone. I think he's going to get offers – for two or three teams. I think but, they're both going to get offers. But my thing is this. Where we defer, you want you think Moore's going to believe before Quinn will. I think Quinn is gone, personally. Don't you wish that even on me, Ricky Bobby? I don't want to, but I honestly believe that he's gone. But I don't want to lose both of them at the same time. No, I agree. So, I'm – I'm kind of hoping that Quinn's in that, and I I don't want to throw any negativity 
towards more. But if you look at the Cowboys slump, that six weeks where they was really struggling, it wasn't just Dak that was struggling. It was the team as a whole on offense was struggling. And I think part of it is sometimes Kellen Moore just doesn't know how to adjust during the game when things are not going right. I think he adjusts fine. I think the problem is he starts too slow. Well, that might be the case too. And it just it looks like he doesn't adjust that well. But if I'm choosing which one I want to go, I want more to go. But, like I said, I think Dan Quinn is on his way out if he wants a head coaching job. And and it's going to be strictly up to him because he's going to get the offers. I just don't want to lose both of them at the same time because it's like we're starting at ground ground zero zero again. I I don't see how both of them – don't get an offer. I mean, the thing is, for sure, Mike McCarthy became the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Joe Judge, at one point, was the head coach of the New York Jets or the New York Giants. You don't know how many people they offered that job to, and and maybe somebody turned it down and decided to go back, or Coach A that they wanted said, "Well, I want some player personnel control," like John Gruden had in with the Raiders and Bill Belichick with New England and yada yada. You don't know who accepts jobs and then just for some reason doesn't work out, so then they go to to plan B. I don't see a world with all the openings out there, especially with Kellen Moore and some of the young quarterbacks, how he doesn't at least get the – I think they're both going to get, here's pen and paper, go through it, sign it if you want to. We'd love to have you as our head coach. I think they both get that. I think – Dan Quinn, he's older. I mean, he's not an old man by any means. No. But I think him being a little more veteran, a little more established, I think he's more willing to take a year off well, and, and, and and be the defensive coordinator for one more year, knowing that as long as the defense does this, you saw what happened in Atlanta. Yeah, he took a team to the Super Bowl, but was there anything on that Atlanta team, there were some young pieces that you were excited about. Wasn't as loaded as our defense is. That's why I'm saying, like, if I think he leaves, Miami's going to be a good spot because they've got good pieces. And Denver would be another good spot. And and I guess Chicago is a better spot than I thought it was. But I think it's where he's going to go. He's going to want something with some established defensive pieces because he's done the opposite. And he's gone somewhere and he's tried to build a defense up. That defense was pretty much established in Seattle he wasn't the first defensive coordinator. Another yeah. guy left. He got promoted. He got to take over the Legion of Boom at its prime. He's taken over, and I'm sure he had some influence in bringing Mika Parsons in, but Diggs was already – he was already there. He yeah. had he wasn't ascended the way he has now, but Diggs was there. Marcus Lawrence was there. Randy Gregory was there. Now, granted, in a different world – Anthony Brown was there. And Curse, he's a new guy for sure, so we can give him some credit for that. We can give him credit for Keanu Neal because that is really legitimately one of his guys. Neville Gallimore was there last year. So the foundation was set, and we've added and churred at me. He's coached him up, and he's taken him to a next level 100%. But he already had the ingredients. 
he just cooked the dinner. Yeah. He made a heck of a dinner. Yeah. But the ingredients were there. It's nice when you don't have to go to the grocery store too. When the ingredients are already in the cabinet, you just gotta do the cooking. Yeah. That's what I like to do. My wife does the shopping, I do the cooking. Yes, if I've got to do both, mm, it's a lot of extra work on my plate. Well, I wanted to bring up one more thing, and we can, I guess we need to move on because we've been running quite a bit. But, uh, and I've already said that Dan Quinn, I think, is gone. But I think the only thing that might keep Dan Quinn through next year is the fact that you get one, maybe two shots at the head coach position. He failed in Atlanta. The, which is why he's with us now. Is he willing to risk it after one year and try to do it again? Because you only get two shots at this thing at the max. You never get a third shot. Well, unless you're like – some guys get third shots, but you've got to have like Super Bowls on the – like you've got to have I mean, a nice resume. Well, I mean, how many coaches – just right off the top, I don't want to put you on the spot, but how many coaches have had three opportunities as head coaches? It, 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 Let's see here. Belichick. Well, he did. Belichick de- technically coached the Jets. It's very few, yeah, for far sure. in between. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that's why I'm thinking if that's the might be the only thing that keeps him there. But Kellen Moore being young, correct, and not knowing any different, he could be the first one gone. Well, and I think with Kellen Moore going to Jacksonville. They're going to let him build. I think if I think if Quinn goes to Jacksonville, obviously he turned it down. There's going to be a different expectation because of Quinn's age and his experience and his resume. You bring in a Kellen Moore, he's young, granted with a nice body of work, but you bring him in young to do a rebuild, to do a build up. Yeah. So there's, the expectation for him is probably going to be a little bit lower, it, it, at least right off the bat. Yeah. You know, I agree. Now, I did want to talk. There's a rumor out there, and you and I text about it, and um, I'm praying that this rumor has no validity to it. There's a rumor going around that one team in the NFL is trying to ha- get a pair from the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, they're trying to bring Kellen Moore in as their head coach, and they're trying to grab Will McClay. As their GM. And I immediately texted you when I saw this, and I said, absolutely not. Jerry needs to figure out a way to stop that from happening. As much as I like Dan Quinn, and I think he's asset number two, I think we could afford to lose Kellen Moore because he's been in the offense for he's, – he's coached the offense for a while. We've had a lot of similar coaches. I think, I think we can – he's easier to promote within – Plus, we have Mike McCarthy. He's an offensive coach anyway. But I think number one asset in this thing is Will McClay. Agreed. I think we've been very successful in the draft the last three to four years. I, probably back further. I'm not going to do the numbers on it. But <clears throat> I know we've hit on most of our first-round picks probably the last seven, eight years. I know we've hit on quite a few seconds. Well, I mean, let's just go back to – Zeke and Dak. Sure. There you go. So, let's say five years. 
And then really in the last two, three years, I mean, it's been multiple, you know, fourth, third round picks, fourth round picks. The Neville Gallimore's, though, so Diggy Zoo was. Um, <clears throat> and even the, even bringing in the, even bringing in the one-year guys, Curse, Quint, some of the one-year guys haven't all hit. We've hit on quite a few one-year guys. I think Keanu Neal's been a success story for one-year player. I think I think Hooker and Kazee have both had moments where they've played well <clears throat> in our defense. I think one of the reasons, you know, Jerry, up until really the last few years, where he's really started backing off on the personnel decisions, has really been our GM. And he still gives himself that title. But I think he really trusts Will McClay to handle a lot of this stuff. I think that Stephen Jones and I think Will McClay are really spearheading our front office. So if you lose a Will McClay, you really think Jerry's is going to trust that to hand that over to somebody else? Or is it going to be 10 years ago where Jerry's just running everything again? And, and does Jerry really need to be doing that? Really, since free agency's become a thing. See, he did it back in the day before free agency was a thing. Yeah, You owned a player pretty much until you didn't want him anymore, and, and then they finally had a shot for agency. Once free agency became a thing, the play, the the owner GMs, the Al Davises, the Jerry Jones, really started struggling because the, the free agency just b- became something very different. Yeah, that opened up a whole new element to the NFL. You lose a Will McClay. What's the chances that there's just someone to take that from him, and that Jerry just lets them do it? Yeah, that's one of those things. I don't. You know, you're already looking at possibly losing offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and then you're losing him. Like, he's basically – he's your GM without the title. Uh, if I'm Jerry Jones, I'm paying whatever money he needs to stay. Yeah. If he needs the title, I'm giving him that too. But we both know that Jerry Jones yeah, is not going to do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. We both know Jerry Jones is not going to do that. But give him whatever money he needs. I don't care if you give him whatever money plus – 20%. He's already making the decisions. The yeah. the thing is, for me, <clears throat> with Dallas, free agents want to play there. Rookies want to play. Men, go back and watch the tape. It's um, J.C. Horn, it's Patrick Sertan, and Mika Parsons. They're all sitting at a table together, and I think there's like one or two other guys. And what are they all talking about? Now, I understand they probably all talked about a lot of stuff through the night, but there is a segment where Sertan and Horn and Parsons are all talking about wanting to go to Dallas Cowboys. And that's when that moment with Parsons comes in, and Parsons says, no, you guys don't understand. I need to be a Dallas Cowboy. It's in my blood. It's everything I've wanted. He said he needed it. That that leads into that whole moment, and then, you know, it, it, it cuts to the point to where Jerry Jones called me. He's crying. It's a beautiful moment. Yeah. Showed it to my wife. My wife likes football. She Well, she's really starting to love football, but she cried. She said, I, I can't watch this. This is this, this is tearing me up. Such a special moment. Yeah. But all three of those guys, top-tier talents, what, did the, what were they all talking about? How great they'd be in Dallas. It's a tough situation to leave if you're McClay. You, you've really got free reign. 
You see what you've done with your draft picks. Free agents, if they those guys that need to take the one-year rebuilds, Robert Quinn, um, Curse, players like that like to go to places like Dallas because they get the media exposure. They're on the primetime games. And obviously it doesn't hurt that we've had some nice coaches in the last 10, 15 years coaching there. Do you really? My thought is if there's a team rumored out there, it's probably the Giants because Dave Gettleman has said he's going to retire, said he wants to be more of a family man. You got to have a decent feeling he was going to be forced out anyway, but like he's in his early 60s. I don't think he needs NFL football anymore. And maybe it's one of those ones he retires for a year and comes back. You know, we'll see. Joe Judge has obviously been let go. So the Giants have a front office opening and a head coach opening. And they've got a couple first-round picks. That's a decent little seller to, to any person. That's just that. That's where I thought maybe it is. And like you said, if you're Jerry Jones, you just got to figure out a way to, to not make that happen. You can't lose at least one of the coordinators. You and I both agree that one of them is probably gone. I think they're both going to get offers. It's just which one or both decides to take that next step and be a head coach. You lose them and you lose Will McClay. Man, you're just gutted moving in 2022. Yeah. And that's that's one of the things that sucks about success. You know, you and I have talked about it. When you're mid-pack and making the playoffs and this and that, you'll probably go through head coaches and this and that. But you can keep your coordinators and, and this and that because guys don't really come for them. As soon as you're successful and as soon as you're winning, all of a sudden you're the hot thing and everyone wants what you have or pieces, the the obtainable pieces of what you have. That's one of the reasons why you and I preach over and over and over and over again on the show. Everyone thinks you've got these 10, 15-year windows to win. You really don't. You have these small windows because things like this happen. And that's just that's kind of how I wanted to end the news and notes. That was a nice lengthy segment. But the coaching stuff matters. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's huge. Uh, you definitely don't want to go into a new season next year and have a new offensive coordinator, a new defense coordinator, and a new quote-unquote GM, um, which is basically what McClay is. But 2022, we'll start off by talking about a renewed rivalry and the first playoff game in the wild card against the 49ers. This brings back so many memories. I from mean, the 90s. From the <laughs> 90s when – you know, you had two dynasties in the 49ers and the Cowboys that was just fighting it out every year. Uh, fortunately, you know, we was able to win I mean, more ha- of those how battles. Many, how many Super Bowls in the late 80s and and the 90s between the Cowboys and San Francisco? We've got was, three. Yeah, you're looking at, let's see, one. Joe Montana has five rings. Yeah. So he's got five in there, and then Steve Young won one. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a lot of Super Bowls. And that 15-ish year stretch, you're looking at nine Super Bowls. Yeah. And and the early 90s is when the rivalry really hit home. Because, you know, back in in the late 80s is when, uh, you know, we had our little bit of a rebuild there. And then the 90s were – Troy Aikman, Emma Smith, Michael Irvin, uh, 
Walker, you know, it's, everything was big. I mean, the rivalry was huge. It was us or them basically every year for a good five or six-year stretch. I'm sorry. Joe Montana has four Super Bowls. My bad. San Francisco has five. That's right. The only teams with the only team with six is uh, New England and Pittsburgh. Yeah, 82, 85, 89, 90, 95. So just say 89. 89 to 99, it's an 11 year stretch, six Super Bowls. Yeah. So there's a lot of history there. And you can go back to, um, hell, the, the T.O. touchdown, standing in the middle of the star. Uh, Teague won't have it that second time. You know, that was just, that was a big thing. It was a big rivalry then. Um, you know the the rivalry has cooled off since then, but you know it's when you get to playing the same team over and over, it's basically the same team that's stopping you to get to a Super Bowl every year. That creates a big rivalry, a huge rivalry, and that's what it was in the early to mid nineties. It's uh, like I said, it's cooled off since then, but. Uh, me growing up as a kid and watching these rivalry games unfold, it was looking back now, not more as a kid, I didn't really understand it as much. But it's it's definitely something now that I look at more as is this was a lot a much bigger deal than it was to me back in the day. And to see this rivalry renewed in the playoffs uh, we haven't played them in the playoffs since then. Takes you back to your childhood. It takes me back to childhood, childhood, and it's uh, it, it's a game that I'm excited to and looking forward to on Sunday. Yeah, it um takes me back to watching like football with my father. Yeah, um and and just you know brings back that nostalgia, and you know nostalgia is a big thing. Um. You know, looking back at, at your past and, and the things you enjoyed when you were younger and, and maybe things you did when you were younger. And like you said, you know, you look at those years like Dion going against Jerry Rice. And when D, when Dion was with the 49ers yeah, yeah. going against Michael Irvin, um, Troy Aikman versus Steve Young, Troy Aikman versus Joe Montana, at least, you know, the early 90 years and – um like you said, man, it's it's <clears throat> there's so much history in this game, and and both teams have incredible fan bases. You can guarantee, even though it's in Dallas, there's gonna be plenty of 49ers. There's gonna be there. a lot of 49er jerseys. And, and I just want to say this, Cowboy fans, don't sell your ticket to 49er fans. Period. We yeah, need the home yeah. field advantage. Yes. Yeah. Um. Like you said, I mean, I looked it up. We paused for a quick second. The The series between a team is 19-17-1. So, we have two more wins than them. We are leading the series. But like you said, so many big playoff games back in the 90s. So many. Uh, you, you don't know, you know, just a different play here or there. Maybe we have six, seven Super Bowls. Or maybe we have three, you know, in some of those games. And, um... It's going to be a tough game 
the 49ers, they're one of the hottest teams in football, and they climbed a mountain to end up in the playoffs. And, and from where they were two years ago or three years ago, and they fought some injuries, and last year they had some horrific injuries. They got plenty of guys back this year. Nick Bose is one of the better young pass rushers in the NFL. Obviously, the Kyle Shanahan offense is going to create yards and it's going to create space for guys to get open and operate. This is going to be a tough matchup. One of the things that we were talking about when it was three seed or four seed, either way, we were playing an an NFC West team. We were either going to play the Cardinals or we were going to play the 49ers. Um, Seth, you pointed to me. You have something to say? Yeah, I just wanted to point something out. Uh, you said the all-time series was 19-17-1. The postseason hopefully continues to trend as the past uh, because we are 5-2 and two against the 49ers in the postseason. So Six wanted, sounds good. So yes, let's hopefully it trends towards – the Cowboys side continuing. So yeah, let's go and get that sixth win this week, and and I think let's go ahead and hop into that. Um, you know, the first thing you got to start with on the 49ers on offense is the running game. The Kyle Shanahan offense, I think, in since he's been the head coach, every single year he's been there, a different player has led them in rushing. A lot of that's due to injuries. They've yeah. had some guys get hurt. Even their leading rusher this year, Elijah Mitchell, he's been hurt. Mm-hmm. But even on the games when he was hurt, the rushing game has still been effective. Apparently, I could probably rush for two or three hundreds in that Kyle Shanahan offense, as long as I didn't get broken in half the first time I got hit, yeah. which is possible. But it just it they don't. A lot of times, those, those big open lanes, and, and that's if you look at some of the, the holes Elijah Mitchell's running through, one of the reasons he's been so effective is he's a, he has track star speed. He's got real breakaway speed. So did Raheem Mostert. One of the things of that offense is I'm going to create lanes when you see them, hit them and hit them hard and just gash the defense. And that's, that's really what that running game is is built on. I think that's one of the reasons why Elijah Mitchell has been more effective this year than Trey Sermon. Trey Sermon's a he's a a zone guy, a one cut, get five or six yards. Really in the Kyle Shanahan offense, he wants the home run hitter. He wants the guy that can break the long one. It's one of the reasons why Tevin Coleman always got a lot of work in Atlanta. Everyone was always frustrated because of the split between him and Devonta Freeman. I think Devonta Freeman, everyone knows, is clearly a superior running back. Tevin Coleman had that ability to take one and be gone. That's one thing Elijah Mitchell does really well. Yes. So that's the first thing you got to worry about. And it's not just Elijah Mitchell. I didn't realize, I knew Debo had a lot of rushing touchdowns. He has eight rushing touchdowns. Mm-hmm. You get him the ball in space, whether it's a screen post, a slant, a toss, a handoff. When Debo has the ball in space, he has the ability to just break the big one. So, and he's been really the last three, four weeks as Brandon Ayuk has worked his way out of the doghouse. I'm not sure why he was in it anyway. Um, They said there were some maturity issues, but that seems that he's really seemed 
to have bought into the offense. With him taking the mantle and being a more consistent receiving threat, they've really been able to utilize Debo as a chess piece and just get him the ball. Same thing they do with uh, George Kittle. They line him up wide. They line him in a slot. They put him in line as a blocker. Just get these guys the ball in space and let them work. The problem is that offense is very, very successful at creating space. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's, it's bad enough that you got to worry about you know stopping Elijah Mitchell, but you know, you know Samuel he's been doing his thing as a wide receiver. He had fourteen hundred yards this year as a wide receiver, and then he's had almost 400 yards as a rusher. And you got to think over the last, what? How many receiving touchdowns? I know it was eight rushing. Was it six or seven receiving? He had six. So? Six receiving, and then he had... Um, eight rushing, I know that. Eight rushing. So, 14 touchdowns and 1,800 total scrimmage yards. Yeah. Wow. And you got to think, you'll see, over the last nine games, he's had seven rushing touchdowns. Seven at, – at the last nine games of the season is when they really started utilizing him as a rusher. And a lot of that came with the ascension of Brandon Ayuk. Yes. There and, were there, He was inactive a couple games to begin the year – for whatever reason, I, they say maturity, so we'll just go with that. But really, as he's taken up that mantle and kind of been the guy, or maybe the secondary guy yeah. to George Kittle, and and George Kittle was hurt to begin the year. So as he's come back, as he's been able to maintain his health and stay healthy, it's allowed them to put Debo wherever works. Yeah, and this is something that's over the last nine games of the season, they had several injuries at the running back position. You know, at one point, they was at their third and fourth string running back because everybody was just so banged up. But it helped them discover a great weapon in Debo because he was virtually not used at all. He had six rushes in all games before that. Before that. Six. And that allowed them to experiment a little bit, get him more involved, and he excelled so well at it that it's it's now a piece of their offense. Um, to me, uh, without a doubt, I, the running game is our biggest thing that we need to stop. I I'm not, I don't want to talk bad about Jimmy Garoppolo because, you know, he can beat you, but. If you shut the running game down, he can't beat you by himself. And that's how I feel about it. Uh, so, it's it's going to be a really big em- emphasis to clog the running lanes early and don't let, get, don't let that running game get going because the last few games we struggled against the run. We gave up 150 yards against the Eagles. Um, and I understand, you know, we, you know we, Mika Parsons wasn't there, but – Pretty much everybody else, the defensive line, everybody that was there, uh, all the starters was there. So, um, there's no way we should have gave up 150 yards. But, you know, the game was out of control late, you know, in the second half. So, maybe uh, that was tarnished a little bit. But my biggest thing is you need to stop the running game. If you don't stop the running game and we struggle 
uh, slowing them down with the running game, you know, missing tackles or penalties. Uh, that was going to be my next uh, big thing. Uh, but we got to stop the run. We stopped the run. I think we stopped the 49ers. Um, Kittle, he's another one that you got to look after. Brandon Ayuk, he's he's a good wide receiver, but he's inconsistent. Um, I think, you know, we can slow him down. Um, Kittle, he's just been – since he came back, he's just been – he's been there. He's been the guy that he is when he's healthy, basically. The problem is he hasn't been able to stay healthy. Um yeah, I mean, the running game, I think that's the biggest thing. But the biggest thing for us, the penalties, penalties, penalties. We are the number one team in the NFL in penalties. If we keep giving them second chances, if we keep knocking ourselves away from getting second chances, we will not win this ball game. The penalties have gotten so bad over the last few weeks, it's almost like any positive play that we have for 20 yards, you can almost guarantee is a penalty. Not even just that. Zeke ran for five yards, and there was a play in the Philly game, five yards on first down. Second and five, how much that playbook you got? Everything. Everything. Next, next, Next snap. Whoops, next snap didn't happen. False start on Tyler Biotis. Second and ten. What's a second? So all the momentum of that five-yard run and kind of what you start building on, you can run it again. You can take a shot. Maybe you just get that first down. You just kind of keep churning out plays. Instead, that first down run, it's like it never happened. It, Dak may have well just snapped the ball and thrown it into the ground. Yeah. Second and ten, you're, you're starting from scratch. So that's my thing with the penalties is the the defensive pass interference is in this and that. And the thing is, guys are going to run open in that 49ers offense. You've got to play disciplined football. You've got to stick to your guy on a hip. You've got to tackle well. That's on the defensive side of the ball. You can't give up the chunk plays. You know Jimmy G is going to – Throw it short. That's kind of what he does, man. Gets the ball out quick. George Kittle's fantastic after the catch. Debo is – both of those guys are just different animals after the catch. Brandon Iuk's really adding that to his game. He's a young, physical receiver, sneaky, athletic. There's some element of that in his game as well. When Jimmy G gets it out short, if it's a three-yard out route, good. Make the tackle second and seven. You're still right about where you want to be with the chains. You're at least on par with the chains at, on second and seven. Problem is that three-yard out route, when it turns into eight yards because you miss a tackle, all of a sudden it's second and two. They can do whatever they want on second and two because third and two is – you've still got the whole playbook on third and two. So you've got to be disciplined on defense. And like you said, on offense, we've got to stop shooting ourselves in the foot – these, how are we getting false start penalties in Dallas? It makes no sense. I understand if you're getting them. 
in Seattle is one, you know, with that terrific fan base. Or Mile High Stadium where with the altitude and the fans and this and that, it's a very hard place to hear as well. That's one of the harder places to hear. Green Bay would be a similar place uh, with, with similar elements. But how can you get false start penalties in your home stadium? Blows my mind every time it happens. But it happens. Yeah, too much for sure. I mean, it's <clears throat> it's not just the penalties. It's the timing of the penalties. You know, when you got a team of third and four, a third and five, and you stop them on third and five, but you got a a holding call on the corner or something as simple as a I don't know a roughing the passer hands, hands illegal hands like hands to the face. My thing is this: something like that on a third and four call that's very very easily to pick up, and you stop them, but then you give them an extra set of downs over and, something stupid. And, and the thing is. Playing San Francisco, how does their offense work? It's how it works. Five yards on first, three yards on second, third and two. It's going to be third and short a lot on Sunday. If we're giving them free first, if we're not playing disciplined football, holding on defense, defensive pass interference, this and that, we can't play two teams anymore. Mm-mm. We've done it too much all season, and the problem is it's really been our Achilles heel in yeah. every single game is <laughs> penalties. And you know a team like the 49ers, Jimmy G's not going to take a lot of chances. He's going to play it safe. He's going to get it to his playmakers and let them make moves and let them do work in the open field. You know it's going to be third and short. Make peace with it tonight, Wednesday night that you're going to be disciplined and you're going to play smart football. If we play smart football and our coverage is sound, you got to think that pass rush is going to be able to get home against Jimmy G. And the thing is, he's one of those guys that when he gets hit a few times early, he becomes very, very gun-shy. And he starts to throw the ball and kind of curl in and, and like he's trying to absorb the hit. There's footage of that documented on him. I, so that's my thought process is you've got to be sound on defense and you've got to let the pass rush get home. Just play smart football. You know they're going to try to get it out early. Stop the short stuff early. The pass rush will get home. You've already seen the athletic freaks in Mika Parsons in Randy Gregory, in DeMarcus Lawrence, some of these interceptions that, like, Randy Gregory's made, the jumping batted balls, DeMarcus Lawrence, same thing. Be sound on the back end. Let the let the defensive line get home. All right. We've had, just, just, just to throw it out there, we've had 127 penalties on us this year for 1,100 yards. And I'm just going to throw this out here to – Back up the offensive penalties. Okay, so we've had, let's see, 45. 45 penalties. 27 offensive holding. 18 false start. 
and that's that's huge. I mean that that's two and a half a game. Yeah. So you talking about you're looking at ten yards or five yards automatically knocked back. And to say forty five and of a whole year does not sound like a lot, but man, it is. It is a lot and it is by far the most penalties um out of all the penalties that we've had over the years, the false start and the offensive holding are way above all the others. And that's a perfect example right there of how quickly you can go from the number one offense in the league to the number 20 or later offense in the league just because of those two penalties alone. This is a unit that's played together basically all year long. You've had, uh, of course, you've had Tyrone Smith has missed a couple games, and then you had Connor Williams and Connor McGovern. You know, they for four games, McGovern was the starter. But other than that, for the most part, Collins has been there, Zach Martin's been there, Biotis has been there. The left side is the only side that's being questionable, but it's only been for a few games. This is a unit that should be fully focused and should not have these problems. And the fact that this is such a big issue, I can only hope and pray. Last last week wasn't as bad. I think they still had seven penalties overall. I don't know the exact breakdown, but you got to hope that they are preaching that something fierce this week because this is win or go home. You know, it ain't no next week. We'll clean it up next week. This is it. If you clean it up next week, you clean it up out. You clean your lockers too. So they need to get it right and let's get to business. And the problem is with that defense, the 49ers, they don't give up the big play. So this is going to be, you talk about those games in the 90s. Those games were very, very grinded out. Emmett Smith, Roger Craig. It, it, they were both those teams. Sure, they had explosive playmakers in a passing game. I mean, you've got probably the best ever doing Jerry Rice, and I think Michael Irvin in that era. I mean, he's a Hall of Famer. He's easily one of the best to do it in that era. And 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 in the conversation of one of the better ones to do it all time. Yeah. So it's gonna be a grinded out game. You're probably not gonna hit a lot of chunks against the 49ers. So when Zeke actually gets that crease or makes that move in the hole, gets four or five yards on first down, that stuff, it's got those have got to stick. It's got to be second and five. It's got to stay second and five. And let and, and we've got to be able to work from there. If, if we're counteracting everything we do in this game, it's done. It's cooked. It's over. Because it's going to be hard enough to – that you talk about the injuries they've had on the back end – that passing, that passing defense is still one of the best in the, in the league. They're, they're number 14 in the league with all the injuries that they've had. Correct. They're number seven yeah. in the run. Correct. So the reason the Rams – the reason they were able to come back and win that game against the Rams is because the Rams couldn't run the football on them. Now, I understand Zeke and Pollard and our rushing offense is probably a little different animal than what the Rams – 
uh, bring to the table. But Sonny Michelle's been really good. I had him in a few fantasy leagues, and including our home league, which I won. Um, that's one of the things I wanted to talk about. Uh, you know, oh. who'd you play in the semifinals, Seth? What? Who beat you in the semifinals? What? Okay. <laughs> I think, I'm pretty sure you played me, the, yeah. the defending, the, yeah. the now reigning and defending champ. So um, that's one thing that we did do during our weeks off is I beat Seth in fantasy football. Um, anyway. But Sonny Michelle has been good in, in weeks this year, and he's had multiple 100-yard games. So it's not that their running game is just non-existent. The 49ers just made it very, very difficult for them, and they had to beat them with the pass. I think our running game is for sure better than the um, L.A. Rams, but it's still not going to be easy. I still don't think anything's going to be free. That front seven is phenomenal. It's one of the better ones in the league. With Greenlaw and Werner and that front four, it's just it's a dominant front line. So when you get when you actually get a small crease, if Pollard busts one to the outside, no stupid holding penalties. If he can't, if if, if you hold and it could get him twenty, but if you don't hold and it could get him six, just take the six, please, because you already know. We've been very critical as a team against the against the refs. You've heard some of the press conferences. You and I have sent them back and forth, and we've, we've texted and talked about them. Some of our guys haven't been so nice to the referees yeah. post-game. You already know they're going to be looking at everything we do. Mm-hmm. Don't give them a reason to throw it. Our offense is good enough that if you have to take negative one on first down, second 11, you're still not horrible. You can guarantee if it's first and 20, man, we're in bad shape. Yep. Yeah, I can't agree more. So, that's my kind of thoughts on the game is you've got to be sound defensively. You know most of what makes that offense dynamic with Jimmy G in at quarterback is the holes up and up in the running game. Mika Parsons is going to have to be big. He's going to have to be everything he's been already all year. I think LVE is going to have to play really strong in that secondary role, linebacker role. Keanu Neal is going to have to have a big game against Georgia. You've got to slow one of them down. It can't be, you know, looking at that Rams game, I think Debo had a huge game, which is what he does. I think Ayuk was just short of 100. Maybe he was just over 100, and Debo had over 100 total. And then I think Kittle was – he was definitely the third person – but he was still up there in yardage, probably 60, 70, 80 yards. All three of them can't go off. you got to find a way to limit it and make it a two-man show if you can because if it's Kittle, if it's Mitchell, if it's Debo, and it's Ayuk the way it's been in the last four or five games, we're in trouble. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's kind of how we win is, is spreading it around to four or five guys. you got to make life tough for one of them. Like you said, I hope it's Mitchell. If you make things difficult for him, you put more on Jimmy G, then maybe you can take away one of the pass catchers and try to make it a two-man show with Jimmy G. I think that's our number one key to victory. Sound tackling is so big in this game because the ball's coming out quick. And then on offense, just don't play – just play against the 49ers. You can't – no holding, no false start. That stuff's got to be limited, man. 
the fact that we've been able to overcome that and be as good as we are offensively just shows what our offense could potentially be. Yeah. If we were to just play sound football with no penalties, what's the ceiling for our offense? One of the, the road. We're already one of the best in the league. Yeah. So you take away those two-and-a-half offensive penalties a game, let's say it's 20 yards of offensive penalties between holding and false starts and this and that. You just take away those 20 yards. Imagine we get an extra first down or two. Imagine the scoring possibilities. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to make this very simple. Very simple. We don't beat ourselves with penalties. Offensive side of the ball, it's almost night and day. Our offense is way more superior than the 49ers offense. Probably the quarterback play. The, the playmakers. Well, I'm just saying the quarterback. And yeah. What? Yeah. The quarterback play, maybe I should have said it's night and day. Because in my eyes, it's no contest. And I don't know anybody that would pick Jimmy G over Dak. There's probably people out there that would. But. Uh, I can guarantee you the higher percentage is going to be on Dak's side. Um, the playmakers with Cooper, C.D. Lamb, Wilson. I mean, Wilson's played good enough to be in this conversation now. Uh, Schultz. People forget we're getting Jarwin back. We had Jarwin last week, but you know, Schultz has been the guy. Um, and then we still got Zeke and Pollard. And the offensive line is really good, too. I, I, I don't think there's anybody that would question our offense over the 49ers. Play our game. Keep the penalties down. Our offense is better than theirs. Defensively, people are going to argue back and forth. I understand that but I still think we got the better defense. We got the better coordinator. There should be no reason if we play our game on both sides of the ball with the crowd behind us on top of that, there's no way in the world we lose this game. I think it's going to be tight. I think it's going to be competitive. I think it's going to be. I think that the 49ers are going to be pumped. I'll say this. I think we have more. Star power. That's what I'll say. Star power. I think, especially on the de- I think on the defensive side of the ball, linebacker position to back. I'll say we have a little more star power. Nick Bosa is probably the best defensive lineman in the game. At least the best defensive Agreed. lineman. Agree. In in at least our game. I think but we you, have better depth. But you got it exactly. You got to think Randy Gregory, Demarcus Lawrence, Terrell Basham. Dorrance Armstrong, and that's going to be a, a thing. If we can get one of those big plays from one of our secondary pieces where maybe their secondary defensive line pieces aren't as strong, that can be a momentum swinger. That can be something that can change a game. You already know they're going to key in on Parsons. They're going to key on Gregory. They're going to key in on Lawrence. If you can get something out of Gallimore and get something out of Osa, you can get something out of Bash, you can get something out of Armstrong, you can even get maybe something out of Tristan Hill, who's been playing some snaps. That can change a ball game, period. But like you said, 
we can't play against ourselves in this game. It's just it's got to be good, clean football. And one thing that I want to talk about, and I know you're going to give your piece, and this will probably be how we wrap up the show. Greg Zerline cannot put us in the hole. If we score a touchdown, let's say we get the ball, we drive it down, and we get six, that point after touchdown has got to become automatic for him. Those 40-yard touch, those 40-yard field goals have got to become automatic for him. We play in a dome, Seth. We, and I understand that you and I have been back and forth and back and forth, and we've changed our tide so many times on Greg Zerline. Man, they say it's mental. The problem is if, if it is mental, that stuff's so hard to clear out. And it looks like he's our kicker for 2021. And, and they said, well, evaluate in the offseason is kind of basically what Jerry Jones said. He said if there were better options out there, we'd probably have them. 40-yard field goals in a dome have got to be automatic. They have to be. There's literally no elements. None. Yeah, that to wonder if you score a touchdown, if it's going to be six or seven every time you score a touchdown, man, that's it is a huge, huge risk going into the. And I understand, like you said, if there were better ones out there, we take a chance on them. But to go into the playoffs knowing the fact that he is a big question mark, how often. Is McCarthy going to second guess going forth, going forward instead of taking the points because you don't know if your kicker is going to make the field goal? Fourth and two on San Francisco's 30. It's a 47-yard field goal. Knowing that that is a drive that you want to come away with points. We got inside the other team's 30. Fine. We're on the 29 to say inside the 30. Knowing you want to come away with points, what's the thought process there? Sure, we're potent offense, but going against a strong defense. Let's say the game's tight. I don't know, 14-14. That decision could be the ball game. If you have somebody like Justin Tucker, without question, kick the field goal, get the points. But with Zerline, you're like, and, 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 like, the problem is, like you said, with Zerline, at least in the regular season, it's kind of been, oh, we'll, we'll work on it next week. It's one of those things you kind of just push down. You can't push down the line anymore. And how many, how many games do you picture in this playoff us blowing anyone out? I understand putting offense, yeah. great defense. You're playing against, you're playing against yeah, fantastic absolutely. teams here it, on out. The 49ers played against the Rams, the Cardinals, and – I mean, Seattle, they had a lot of injuries. But he played against the Rams twice and the Cardinals twice. Both teams are in the playoffs. So, the fact that the, the 49ers are there. Is an asset. Is it is a tribute to how good that team is. Exactly. So, I don't think that we're going to blow anybody away by any means. And, and, and this leads me. I'm going to go back real quick. And this is probably the last thing I say. Um, it makes those penalties you know, all more important. Yes. If you get on the other team's side of the ball, you're looking to drive him for the touchdown. All of a sudden, you you hurt yourself. Most teams say, "Well, you still made it to the thirty. You just kick the field goal and take the points." Not in Dallas. You don't. No. In Dallas, all of a sudden, I mean, do you think there's a team in the playoffs that has a bigger question mark at kicker than us? No. It, it, it's... And the, and the problem is how many of these games. 
that Raiders uh, Chargers game. How was that one? It was one by a field goal. Mm. A lot of these, that's just one game. We could talk about field well, goals all night. It, but how many of these games are decided by field goals? And I understand he's hit the ones at the end of the game that matter. But the problem is every single point matters in this game. Well, and if you go back to the Arizona game, we were the number number two seed. We lost that game by three points. He missed the extra point and a field goal that game. And it was a makeable field goal. One of those so, 50 yarders they tried him out on. So I'm just saying, and I, there's no way you can put one, you know, a loss on one player because players, penalties, all kinds of that goes into it. But the fact that knowing that you could have made the difference, it, it's. We're we're playing from behind instead of ahead in that game. The Tampa Bay game. We lost that game, missed field goals. Now, that seems like centuries ago. It seems so long ago because it was the first game of the season. But the Kansas City game, he missed a couple in there. It, it, the Raiders game. The, yeah, the, the Raiders game. The, that, pro- the problem is, Seth, if we win two of those – and a lot of those games were close. If he makes those fields and say we just win two of them, what seed are we? The one. What are we doing this week if we're the one? Sitting here talking Chilling about Chilling out, maxing, out. relaxing, all cool. Yeah, that's right. No, shooting some b-ball outside of school. Yeah, that's right. But anyway, it, that's the thing, though. That stuff matters. And the problem is, does any podcast talk about their kicker more than us? I don't want, like, I don't want this to be a thing. But, like, it's been a thing thing. all year. Like, I told you the other day, like, you said you didn't want to take a rookie going into the next year as a kicker. But, man, I'm at the point now where I'll take a rookie all day. Somebody's going to get cut. Every team thinks the kicker position you can replace with cheap guys until those cheap guys don't work, and then they're like, man, we had a really good veteran. Well, let's, it, it happens every year. Let's just go buy out Justin Tucker's contract and take it. I already said trade the first for him. I said that weeks ago. So, let's do that. Hey, uh, hey Baltimore doesn't like kicking PATs. They like they love going for two. Yeah. She will take him. If y'all don't want to utilize that leg, we will. But for real, I think with that, I think, Seth, we're deep into this episode. So I think it's time to wrap it up and um, get out there, play clean football. And if we play clean football, what are we leaving with, Seth? That victory! I think that's a fantastic way to end this show. And we want to thank you guys for all the support. And, you know, one more time, we want to apologize for the long layoff. And, um, you know, but health is most important and our families are most important. And, uh, you know, while we love doing this, we're, we're always going to look out for our family first, and we hope you understand that. And as always, thank you for the support. The, you know, the Facebook page is still growing. A lot of people are trying to get in on that. And, and anyone that's mentioning us, and if you brought one friend, two friends, three friends, four friends, anything, above and beyond from the bottom of our hearts, thank you for that. Most importantly, just thank you for gutting it out with us on some of these longer episodes. And we appreciate it, and we can't wait to come back next week, hopefully talking about that big victory that Seth talked about. Thanks, everyone. Have a good night.